a trusted voice of truth and light. The narratives that mislead most of us aren't outright lies. They're the deliberate omission of facts that could give us a more complete picture. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. The world needs your leadership. And the essence of leadership is using your influence wisely wherever you happen to be standing. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. I hope you are ready to revel in wrong think because we got plenty of it headed your way today. Our program is brought to you by Landmark Risk Management and Insurance, also by Monticello College and Rio del Sion Home Lots. You can find links to these sponsors in the show notes, which I provide for you each day that I broadcast at thebrianhydeshow.com. These are the show notes for February 26th. And on tap today, we're going to talk about a number of different things. We're going to talk about... uh, Well, we're going to talk about some of the crazy, unpredictable stuff that's going on, but one of the most disturbing aspects is described so well in an essay by Joaquin Book. And the thing that concerns him, I mean, look, there's there's a ton of weird stuff, weather-wise and economically and militarily, there's all this stuff going on. Politically, it's, we live in clown world. But you know what one of the most disturbing things is that we see? It's the public's gullibility towards the politicians and the bureaucrats who are laying the groundwork to remove our most basic rights and freedoms. That's a huge concern. So let's let's dive right in and talk about this. This is an essay that Joaquin Book published on uh, Medium.com. It's called The World at Its Darkest. And I love he starts out with a quote from uh, Tolkien from The Two Towers. First, Joaquin Book says, remember who the enemy is, and it's not the friends, neighbors, or family members you're lashing out at. Here's the quote from the two towers. And you, ring bearer, she said, turning to Frodo, I come to you last who are not last in my thoughts. For you, I have prepared this. She held up a small crystal vial. It glittered as she moved it, and the rays of white light sprang from her hand. In this vial, she said, is caught the lights of Arendil's star. Set amid the waters of my fountain, it will shine brighter when night is about you. May it be a light to you in dark places when all other lights go out. Now, Joaquin Book says, look, I'm not the only one who's seriously scared about what happens in the world. And not about that pesky virus, which overwhelmingly doesn't harm very much. He says, I'm in the right age group and healthy, so I face next to no risks. But he says, instead, the catastrophic risk I face comes from the gullibility of others, our government's overreach, the laying of intellectual and political groundwork for permanently removing our rights, what we in the West thought until recently were unalienable rights that nobody in their wildest dreams would impinge on, were removed and upended in a matter of months, and not to the sound of pitchforks and revolutions, but to the masses cheering them on. He says, in country after country, madness ruled and disproportionate responses took place. When the enlightened restrictions didn't work, how could they, completely misaligned as they were, the leaders jammed down even more of them, down our credulous throats. Not that we minded either. We celebrated their strong actions, even attacked them for not stripping us bare earlier. Then we turned on one another, especially those who dared say, hang on a minute. Now, he says, perhaps I'm hyperbolic here. I sure hope so. And perhaps we'll all look back at this as a grand misunderstanding. Better err on the side of caution, right? Even so, 
there's a new sheriff in town at the mere whiff of another invisible threat of doom like this one, we know exactly what's about to, to, to go down. From the great political and economic historian Robert Higgs, we know that government powers, once expanded, never fully returned to where they were. Over time, jumping from emergency to emergency, we end up with a larger and larger government. And so he asks, what to do about this? Most of us aren't in positions to make meaningful differences one way or another, so we're left to merely merely treading water, endure. The powerlessness we all feel, the inability to make plans or meet friends or attend weddings or celebrate anything, is getting to millions and millions of people. Nobody else cares about your pain, and nobody else is in charge of improving it. Joaquin Book says a few things remain for those of us who still cherish our own agency, and that is make preparations to weather the storm. Now, this is some really sound advice he offers here. And when he says prepare to weather the storm, he says, I mean this in every sense. Financially, personally, professionally, health-wise, hold larger buffers in your economy as a household and as a saver and investor. Keep more food in the fridge, more long-lasting goods in the pantry, more easy-to-access funds in cash and in your bank accounts. Prepare financially and monetarily for the life after the madness by keeping physical gold and Bitcoin. If not now, then when? And professionally, he says you do it by getting the skills you want and need. Now this is a particularly powerful suggestion here. When he says, work on yourself and your own skills, Joaquin Book reminds us, everything can be learned on YouTube these days. With the extra time that all of us have, learn about what you need to learn about, the skills that are valuable in this economy, or the survival skills that an even darker future would require. In terms of your own health and well-being, work out much more than you'd want to. And he says, believe me, right now, nobody wants to. Every session, he says, the line that runs through my mind is, what is the bloody point? And when all else go dark, we need to bring the light from within ourselves. Breathe, push-ups, runs, lifts, yoga. He says, do them and do more of them. I like this next piece of advice, too. Shut off the TV and avoid news. Something you should have done long ago anyway. Strip most all of your social media, too. Nothing could make you less informed about the world than the never-ending noise from a news anchor. And he says, if you can't live without the quick fix from news events, at least consider more slow-moving formats, serious podcasts, magazines like The Economist or books. And then he says, read widely about people who lived through truly horrendous things. And this would include people like Anne Frank, Stefan Zwig. I'm going to struggle with this next name. Zlata Filipovic, Alexander Solzhenitsyn. And he says, remember, what what we have is at least so far miles and miles away from what they had. By the way, I would add one more. Corey Ten Boom is a good one to read. Just something to think about. Some other practical advice, he says, is defensive. Cheat when nobody sees. Trade whatever you can on the black market. Reciprocating favors from your neighbors. If you live in the countryside, try getting game or roadkill from those around you who know how to acquire them. Stack away Bitcoin out of reach of your tyrannical government. Get a cottage in the woods or the Alps or the emptiness of whatever nature you like most. He says the only upside of this terrible pandemic is the realization among some of us at least that you can't trust your protection and well-being 
to the big government. You are in charge of your own life. You wield its agency and you must secure it for yourself and others financially, physically, and mentally. And next he shares a quote from Solzhenitsyn reflecting on the deepest horrors that anyone ever unleashed on humanity. It's one of my favorite quotes. The line separating good and evil passes not through states, nor between classes, nor between political parties either, but right through every human heart and through all human hearts. This line shifts. Inside us, it oscillates with the years. And even within hearts overwhelmed by evil, one small bridgehead of good is retained. End quote. And so uh, Joaquin Book says, remember who the enemy is. It's not your neighbor who flouted the rules or the colleague who got infected. It's the government rules and the agents who enforce them. Even when they are mostly regular human beings going through very similar challenges to the ones that you are, their hearts are not consumed by evil, even if one wonders about some of them. He says the world is a seriously scary place, and yet we must carry on. So take responsibility for your life, learn what you need, detach from what you don't, delve deep and find that Arendelle-like light in your own soul, the light that keeps you going, the stuff that matters. This is such solid advice. And yes, I have a link to this in the show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. Worth taking some time to read, I would say even to think about, and then share this with your friends. Look, I don't believe for a moment that uh, all of these things are going to be solved in one fell swoop. The solutions we're looking for most likely are going to start at the individual level. And that's that's where I think his advice is so dead on. And I specifically, I, I latch on to this part here where he says, learn what you need, detach from what you don't. Now that can be hard. If you're like me, a recovering news junkie. I want to know what's going on. I have to know what's going on. How can I How can I competently discuss the affairs of the world in a crisp, upbeat fashion? You know, there's a lot of stuff out there that is, uh, is ephemera. It's superficial. It's just a distraction. And sometimes it can be hard to distinguish between what is and what isn't. My advice is, <clears throat> if it makes you fearful, if it makes you angry... If it tends to make you more certain of who you hate, you probably don't need that particular influence in your life. On the other hand, if it makes you more certain of who you are and what you stand for, yeah, that's the kind of stuff where I would be directing my attention. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. So glad you could join me today. Our program is brought to you in part by Rio del Sion Home Lots, located just outside of Zion National Park and right along the Virgin River in southern Utah. Beautiful doesn't begin to describe it. I, I can only encourage you, go to the link which I've provided in the show notes at thebrianheidshow.com. Click on it. They'll give you a nice little virtual tour. And if you happen to be relocating to my home state of Utah, and particularly if you happen to be relocating to the southern part of the state and are looking to build a home, you could do a lot worse than this. It's, it's really, really beautiful. Rio del Sion, tell them thank you for sponsoring this program. All right, moving along here. 
I see that uh, President Biden has wasted no time in uh, getting his hands a little bit bloody. Um, Look, people can say what they want about Trump. And uh, Trump was a very flawed individual, no doubt about it. But one thing he didn't do was start a whole bunch of new uh, conflicts and wars and expand wars. I mean, there were some that kept going. I understand the, the killing of the Iranian general. I still don't think it was it was a smart thing, but hey, you know this is this is the national security apparatus, and um, it, here now Biden has just launched an airstrike on a facility in Syria, and here's the crazy thing: the Biden administration says, well, they conducted an airstrike against alleged Iranian-linked fighters in Syria on Thursday, signaling its intent to push back against violence believed to be sponsored by Tehran. So this was apparently an action ordered by the Biden administration to push back against what, again, the Washington Post calls alleged Iranian-linked violence in Iraq and Syria on a border control point in eastern Syria. And a Pentagon spokesman by the name of John Kirby said the facilities that were hit were used by Iranian-linked militias. That word linked is working pretty hard, wouldn't you say? <laughs> I mean, it's like, okay, you guys are stretching a bit. But the crazy thing about that is the United States we're now being told is, uh, well, uh, this was self-defense. Caitlin Johnston says, so we're being told the U.S. launched an airstrike on Syria, a nation it invaded and is illegally occupying because of attacks on U.S. locations in Iraq, another nation the U.S. invaded and is illegally occupying. And, of course, the stenographers uh, at the Washington Post are just reporting verbatim, you know, this is what uh, this is what the Pentagon told us. And somehow that's framing it as a defensive operation in mainstream news publications. Let's just say my confidence in, uh, in the direction we're headed, you know, at that uh, geopolitical level, it's not getting better. And then comes this story, I saw this today on LewRockwell.com, undermining faith in NATO, which I presume I'm doing right now, is grounds for a Twitter ban because certain kinds of politics have become a religion. This is an article from Neboja Malich. And apparently Twitter has announced bans on 373 accounts that it says were connected to state-linked information operations. Some of them, the company said, amplified narratives that were aligned with the Russian government or focused on undermining faith in the NATO alliance and its stability. Now, the author here says, look, Twitter's a U.S.-based company, and the First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution guarantees freedom of speech as well as religion. Under that set of rules, anyone's faith in NATO or lack thereof would be none of Twitter's business. Then again, that set of rules isn't exactly in effect anymore. Twitter has long abandoned its free speech wing of the free speech party, shtick to the point where it's become a cudgel for our democracy to beat its critics with. Or did you miss the part where they censored a sitting president of the United States over how he might be perceived and interpreted and meddled in the election by blocking a newspaper over a true story they falsely claimed was based on hacked materials? You do remember that, right? So assuming for the sake of argument that these things were all part of fortifying the election, as Time magazine put it, and defending our democracy from the evils of the constitutional republic, that might explain the repudiation of free speech and free press, which leaves religion, and it still doesn't answer why Twitter is now embarking on a jihad to protect NATO from heretics. 
The author says, last time I checked, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization was not a god, but a military alliance. It hardly needs anyone's faith or big tech protection thereof. Not only is it armed to the teeth, but commands its own legions of disinformation hunters and propaganda shops. Why one of Twitter's executives is literally an officer in a psychological warfare outfit of the UK military, a member of NATO, in case anyone hasn't been paying attention. Big Tech, by the way, is also working hand-in-glove with an entire cottage industry of disinformation researchers like Ben Nemo, an alum of the Atlantic Council, a think tank serving as a NATO cutout, and Rene DiResta of the Stanford Internet Observatory. Now, DiResta was thought to, ought to be notorious because her old firm, New Knowledge, was exposed for literally running a bunch of fake accounts posing as Russian bots during a 2017 special U.S. Senate election in, in Alabama. Because that helped a Democrat, New Knowledge was allowed to quietly rebrand and DiResta failed upward to land at Stanford. Now, these are not the Russians you're looking for, so move along, that kind of thing. And it's ironic that uh, DiResta's new outfit has provided more information about Twitter's newest crusade, as well as where it might be headed. Based on information they were provided by Twitter, some of the accounts in one of the Russian networks, the SIO says, appears to have been linked to the operations primarily via technical indicators rather than amplification or conversation between them. Now, notice the weasel phrasing in appear to be linked. There's that word linked again, working hard, or show signs of being affiliated in Twitter's original blog. It's simply amazing how the same people who demand irrefutable evidence of, say, U.S. election irregularities suddenly need no evidence whatsoever for their own assertions. No doubt these platforms, you know, like uh, uh, LiveJournal and Telegram, one bought by a Russian company back in 2007, the other founded by a Russian national but currently operating out of Dubai, are going to find themselves in the crosshairs soon enough. Censorship is an intoxicating power that endlessly expands until it's smashed. That was what independent journalist Green, Glenn Greenwald pointed out, especially since enforcing faith means this isn't about differences of opinion anymore. Forget about things like free speech or due process or debate. That's the cornerstone of a national democracy. Politics is a certain kind of religion now. And that's disturbing on a whole other level. Nebosa Malich says, In a move that should, that should surprise no one, this religious war against heretics who dare doubt NATO and other Russian wrongthink was hailed by such luminaries of the U.S. establishment as former ambassador to Moscow Michael McFaul. Now, lest you think he's an outlier, the U.S. embassy in Kiev applauded the Ukrainian government's order to close down three opposition TV stations earlier this month. Democrat uh, lawmakers are currently pushing for similar censorship at home. Yes, contacting like the major cable providers and asking, why are you carrying Fox News? And just last week, newly installed U.S. President Joe Biden told European allies, the transatlantic Atlantic alliance is back, pledging his renewed support for NATO. The thing to understand is that those values aren't necessarily, the ones that, that he says he's going to govern by, aren't necessarily what the Constitution of the American Republic um, calls for. It's now effectively been replaced by what's been dubbed our democracy. And so that's what they're going to govern it by, what our democracy says those values are. So here's a good rule of thumb. Anytime someone 
tells you to put someone or something above reality. In other words, you cannot even question this. You are being asked to idolize something. And there's a lot of idolatry when it comes to the national security state. You know, people are taught almost reflexively, thank you for your service, without ever stopping to think about, you know, whether the person that they're saying it to really wanted to be thanked or not. But if you're putting something above reality, you're turning it into an idol. Be careful. Don't go there without looking before you leap. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Our program brought to you in part by Monticello College. Just click on the link that I provide in the show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. It'll take you right to their website. You can do some examination. See what uh, an education for our time looks like for yourself. I actually had Dr. Shannon Brooks on the show earlier this week. It was a great conversation talking about Georgics. And if you don't even know what that is, I would say, uh, well, go pop on to Monday's episode. What day was that? That was uh, Monday was, hang on, I think it was the 22nd. Yes. Monday, the 22nd of February, and that was hour two of the program with uh, Dr. Shannon Brooks from Monticello College as our guest. All right, moving on. Still hearing a lot of talk about the uh, clash at the Capitol from January 6th. And it was fun to to see uh, Thomas L. Knapp in a piece that was published on everythingvoluntary.com makes a pretty good analogy. In fact, the title of his piece is Capitol Riot, Well Past Its Sell-By Date. Now listen to what he says here. He starts with a quote from Rahm Emanuel back in November 2008, shortly becoming shortly before he became the White House Chief of Staff for the Obama administration. You never want to let or you never want a serious crisis to go to waste. Now what was left unsaid by Rahm Emanuel was even if you have to make something into a serious crisis, molehill to mountain style. <clears throat> Thomas L. Knapp's There are plenty of real crises. There's almost always something important that's going wrong, but real crises are difficult to exploit. Getting important things done well is hard work, and who deserves credit isn't always obvious. Now, political grandstanding is easier, leading to what he calls the dairy farm strategy of crisis exploitation. First, have a cow. Then, milk it. Democrats have been milking the January 6th Capitol riot for going on two months now. Congress is holding hearings. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi wants to establish a 1-6 commission with a pre-stacked 7-4 Democrat-Republican split to review that day's events and ensure blame for those events falls squarely on Republicans. Naturally, Republicans object to the partisan imbalance. Some of them loathe the idea in its entirety, Some want its purview reduced to capital security failures. Others want that purview expanded beyond the right to include other riots in other places on other issues. That would be Black Lives Matter and Antifa versus the right-wing extremism Pelosi wants to milk and milk and milk. 
Now, Thomas Knapp says, I'm not saying members of Congress were unjustified in having a cow after a mob overran police lines and chased them from their chambers. But it was what it was. A one-off riot. Incited? Yes, in various ways and by various people. Planned? Not much at all. If at least so far, as, as, as the available evidence indicates... Donald Trump, Rudy Giuliani, et al. spent two months winding up a mob of unstable non-geniuses, then set that mob loose to do short-term, uncoordinated mayhem. It wasn't 9-11. It wasn't Pearl Harbor. It wasn't the JFK assassination. It wasn't an insurrection. And it wasn't a coup. It was a poorly scripted and typically stupid Donald Trump publicity stunt run amok. Now, Thomas Knapp says the problem with milking the cow you had is that the milk goes sour relatively soon. Pelosi's pail has become a petri dish for what she sneeringly dismisses as conspiracy theories when regular people spout them. She wants us all to drink a tall, warm glass of that sour milk to wash down government censorship of media, both mainstream and social, and other emergency infringements on civil liberties. He says we should pour it down the drain instead. I think that's probably pretty sound advice. Yep, it's it's being milked because, you know, the political class gets to play the victims in this one. And by the way, I don't necessarily agree with Thomas Knapp. I, you know, maybe I'm giving Trump and, and members of, of his team who were challenging election results, maybe I'm giving them uh, more credit than they are due. But I never saw anything along the lines of, you know, let's rile people to the point of violence. I definitely saw him rallying people to stand firm, and, and why not? You know, in the face of, of a gaslighting media that assures us over and over, hey, the fact that these five states stopped counting at exactly the same time, and they all miraculously had these hundreds of thousands or millions of Biden votes suddenly appear, you know, just, you know, when they started recounting, that's, I'm sure it's just a, a pure coincidence, and there's absolutely no reason for us to question whether there was any kind of wrongdoing or any kind of manipulation. By the way, if you haven't seen the Time Magazine article about how we did it, they come right out and tell you how the system was manipulated to get the, quote, right result. Not that a lot of us had a ton of faith in, in voting anyway, you know, the high sacrament of our civic religion, but... Questions remain, and you don't have to be some wild-eyed, tinfoil, hat-wearing, conspiracy kook in order to have serious questions about what took place and why. So, for what it's worth, yeah, Congress is, is trying to keep us distracted by playing the victim rather than, you know, allowing people to question, and of course they've got the help of big tech, They've got the help of most of the mainstream media. Corporate America is, is uh, flexing on us and telling us, you can't question these things. And, and I'm not saying this from a position of, boy, I know for sure. I know without any doubt that there was election fraud. Because I don't. I haven't handled the evidence. What I do know, though, is if the truth is that this was the most transparent and above-board election of our lifetimes then there should be no need to tell people you can't say that, you can't think that, you can't ask that. I would think that the truth would be, I don't know, it would instill a sense of confidence that, hey, we can answer that. We can address that concern. Here's the answer. But instead we're told you can't think that. Don't look there. 
Can you see what I'm saying? It just it doesn't bode well for the idea that, uh, yeah, they're playing straight with us. And always have, because I know for a fact, actually, <laughs> they haven't always played straight with us. And by the way, that's true for the left and right equally. Power is a curious thing. People who want power are willing to do amazingly dumb things like selling their souls in a buyer's market. So I will continue to have questions. I'll continue to raise those concerns and continue to be a pariah, I guess, to the extent that anybody notices. (laughs) But I think they're fair questions to ask. And I certainly wouldn't be thinking ill of anyone for asking them. All right, shifting gears. Here's one that uh, I'm... I'm keeping a very close eye on because this looks to me like the culmination of about, uh, oh, I'll say the last 30 years, but it could be even a little bit more of some hardcore activism finally coming to fruition. And that is the Equality Act that is now uh, being considered in Washington, D.C. This is an article from the Federalist.com. The author is Christopher Bedford. The title, Blessings of Liberty. How the Equality Act Viciously Attacks Christians, Freedom, Society, Sex, and You. And he talks about a conversation here. Christopher Bedford says a Catholic priest asked him as they passed on the icy sidewalk early one Sunday afternoon, Have you been following this Equality Act? To which Christopher Bedford said, Yeah, a bit. You can be sure anything that comes out of D.C. does the opposite of its name. And this priest told him, check it out today. It could pass as early as this week, and it's very, very troubling. Now, he says, the two of us went our ways, carefully navigating the icy bricks back to the safety of our homes. And the Monsignor was right, of course, if the Equality Act passes. He won't be safe in his home much longer, nor will women be safe in their sports, their restrooms and locker rooms, the nail salons they work in, nor even shelters from homelessness and abuse. The act which the House is expected to pass for the second time in nine months on Thursday before sending it to a now-democratic Senate opens up swinging on Christian, as well as most religions, concepts of morality in marriage, sex, and identity. What this act would do is strike biological sex from the 1964 Civil Rights Act, replacing it with sexual orientation and gender identity. Crazy stuff, right? Belief in traditional marriage, the uh, act of uh, the act would legislate, is a specific example of what it calls illegal discrimination. If the bill passes the Senate, he says our church parishes will become soft targets, while weak-kneed men like David French confidently celebrated the migration of drag queens from rowdy, seedy bars to children's library story hours as blessings of liberty. It'll be curious to see what he thinks when parish halls are subjected to those same blessings. Now, we'll come back to this in just a few moments. And look, I know that this can be a very divisive topic. If you have uh, someone in your family or someone you know struggles with uh, gender dysphoria, maybe, you know, you have a a child or a grandchild who has come out. You know, this is something that uh, affects the lives of real people. But like most things, it's the kind of issue that when you add government, it doesn't get better. It only gets worse and it gets more contentious because you've now added the element of coercion. And in this case, it's going to be a lot of coercion. We'll take a quick break. We'll be back in just a few moments. This 
is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. As a general rule of thumb, anything that comes out in Washington, D.C. in terms of policy, I always take a close look at what they name it because the official name almost always depicts the exact opposite of what it will actually do. And I'm sharing with you an article from Christopher Bedford from The Federalist about the new so-called Equality Act, which would create coercive new obligations that could end up gutting religious freedoms. Not necessarily a, a great idea. And, and here's the crazy thing about this. It's all made possible, says Christopher Bedford, by, ex- by massively expanding the government's definition of bigotry. Not that uh, we were seeing, or the, not that we weren't already seeing a wave of people accusing bigotry in everything and anything. So we expand the government definition of bigotry as well as the definition of public gathering places to include any place that provides exhibition, entertainment, recreation, exercise, amusement, public gathering, or public display. And when you add the above to any establishment that provides a good service or program, that puts almost the entirety of American civic life under the thumb of radical activists. And they're not remotely done. He says, unhappy with the restrictions on eligibility that Catholic and other religious adoption agencies put on families looking to take children into their homes, this act seeks to nationalize Massachusetts, New York, and California's outright bans on religious adoption agencies' right to operate according to conscience. Now, never mind that there are any number of secular adoption agencies with no traditional marriage guidelines, shutting down the organizations that invented adoption, the bill states will increase the number of homes available to foster children. Meanwhile, Catholic school and other forms of religious education, rare alternatives to an increasingly failing and liberal public education, will be compelled by the act to teach a concept of marriage antithetical to their faith, as well as the popular but absurd claim that boys can be girls and girls can be boys. Religious education alternatives are already suffering under government COVID rules with many that serve poor inner-city children, hit the hardest. But vulnerability is a one-way street for the bill's sponsors who also target shelters and homes for the homeless and for battered women, demanding they admit men who say they're ladies. The same rules will apply to women's sports as well as their bathrooms and locker rooms, effectively nationalizing coastal states' dangerous experiments on women, including children, trying to compete athletically with fairness use the restroom, or simply shower in privacy. By the way, salons, too, will not be able to, quote, discriminate based on biology. Opening the door in the United States for the Canadian nightmare where Jessica Yanov, a man who identifies as a woman while still being attracted to women, sued to force female nail salon employees to wax his privates. You don't have to be a woman to understand the level of sexual assault implicit in an adult man demanding a woman handle his privates for money or risk the force of law. And then he asks, remember Masterpiece Cake Shop's Jack Phillips? In 2017, after five years of fighting, the Colorado baker won a Supreme Court battle establishing his right to abstain from services he opposed on religious grounds. Four years later, however, he's still embroiled in an unending stream of lawsuits and complaints 
brought by radical gay and transgender activists and even a Satanist. Now, the Equality Act would take the treatment Phillips has received over his views on marriage and gender and nationalize it. Virtually no businessman would be exempt. Nor will the Little Sisters of the Poor's hard-fought, if fleeting, legal victories be safe. According to the Equality Act, religious nurses, doctors, and hospitals unwilling to kill an unborn child or perform a potentially mentally destabilizing, deeply invasive, medically unsound sex change surgery could be legally discriminating. Now, while the Little Sisters were able to beat back their antagonists who were led by Joe Biden's nominee to head the Department of Health and Human Services, Xavier Becerra, Using 1993's Religious Freedom Restoration Act, this last line of defense would be useless against the Equality Act. It specifically reads, The Religious Freedom Restoration Act of 1993 shall not provide a claim concerning or a defense to a claim under a covered title or provide a basis for challenging the application or enforcement of a covered title. So under the Equality Act, after all, American law is a tool to attack our rights of conscience, our religious freedom, our businesses, our schools, our families, our neighbors, our priests, and our churches. How dare anyone expect to use the law to defend against it? Christopher Bedford says, While the act is nearly certain to pass the Democratic House of Representatives, the fate in the Senate is less assured. But he says Americans must pay close attention. Our society depends on it. Okay, so I want to I offer a few thoughts on this. Just, look, when I see things like, uh, like Drag Queen Story Hour, I don't see that as, you know, an indication of finally America has found its heart and its soul and is doing the right thing by everybody by inviting people to come in as a transgender activist and read to children and to normalize in their minds that, uh, no, this is good, this is proper, this is acceptable. And it's not because I have any particular hatred towards uh, people who want to cross-dress. I don't. But I have a deep suspicion in those who insist that this is an appropriate thing for children to be exposed to. And I don't agree with the idea that uh, we should be pretending like this this is normal. This is good. This is somehow beneficial to society. I still think one of the most powerful memes that I've seen, and and people will get angry because they'll have to invoke Godwin's law here because it does mention Hitler, but it's a picture of one of the, you know, said drag queens doing story hour at the library, very, very, you know, uh, flamboyantly made up, and, you know, it's it's supposed to be, you know, very attention-getting, right? And so here's this picture of this drag queen reading to these little children, and the caption underneath says, and then one day, suddenly, for no reason at all, the people elected Hitler. Now, the point isn't that, uh, watch, you're saying drag queens are Hitler? No, that's not the point. The point is that uh, Weimar Germany had very intelligent, very well-educated and well-trained people, and yet somehow their society lost their moral compass. The, The concept of right and wrong became a fuzzy, shadowy thing where no one was really quite sure where the lines could could be found anymore. And that's when a certain Austrian corporal found his way into power and was democratically elected by a populace that, uh, you know, 
just lost its ability to distinguish between right and wrong. I know there are people out there who, who carry some interesting and challenging psychological burdens. And I'm not pointing this particularly at the LGBT crowd. I'm, I'm pointing this at all across the, the spectrum. People struggle with a lot of different things. But I don't believe for a moment that the best thing we can do is just simply pat everybody on the back and say, hey, you know, go for it. Sometimes it brings some some very high costs in terms of, I'll just take, for instance, uh, there's a book I read some years ago by do- a medical doctor, Dr. Jeffrey Satinover, and it's called Homosexuality and the Politics of Truth. Now, he's not making any kind of a moral judgment. There's no, well, you know, homosexuality is a sin. That's not where he's coming from. He's coming at it from a physician's point of view, saying a person who engages in same-sex sexual relations faces the following risks or faces elevated risk of different types of infections, different types of cancers, depression, alcoholism. Their lifespan is shortened because of the behaviors. And he actually likens it to alcoholism, which, by the way, has a very similar list of of, uh, consequences that can follow if a person indulges it. And one of the things that he points out is he says, look, if, if you were to point to something and say, hey, if you do this, your life expectancy is, uh, is expected to drop by about half. You're subject to or you're, you're exposing yourself to the possibility of liver disease, of certain types of cancer, of job loss, family, you know, basically it can affect your life in a whole bunch of different ways. But he says, if it was somebody with alcoholism, would you say, hey, you be you. You know, that's you embrace it. You were born that way. Have a drink. Of course you wouldn't. I know nobody wants to consider those kinds of consequences, but, you know, um, the human body is what it is. Violation of the ecology of that body always will carry risks. And I think the most dangerous part of all, though, is when it's, it's okay. If people want to hold these, these different views, what they want to do in the privacy of their own homes, that's entirely up to them. But when you add government to the mix, you're adding a very dangerous component. Because now you're adding coercion. And when that coercion starts to uh, lean on where people's consciences exist, well, let's just say the results can be troubling. And I'll leave it at that. This is The Brian Hyde Show.